I didn't seek out to be a manager or to grow a business. It, it found me. Um, and I think in, for most of the things that people actively seek out, they rarely find, right? You know, usually if you try to make money, it's very difficult. But if you try to just work your butt off and do great things, money usually comes to you. Hey everyone, my name is Ricardo. I am a tech entrepreneur living in Prague, Czech Republic. On this podcast, I would like to share the stories, struggles, insights, and resources of value-driven leaders living in different parts of the world with the idea to inspire you and give you practical tips to move forward with your projects. Thanks for joining us and let's get started. Hi everyone, today we are talking with Blake Whitman. He is the European Business Director at Good Call. They are specialized in talent recruitment and they are having several uh, initiatives like an academy and different innovations which are really interesting to follow from Prague Czech Republic, but I think they are, as you mentioned in the role of Blake, is all around Europe as well. So welcome Blake, how are you doing? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm doing very good. I'm having a typical day that's lots of ups and a few downs and sideways as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, the roller coaster of the life of a manager or an entrepreneur. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And somebody who's got, you know, a wife and two kids who I love to death, but who also uh, bring challenges and, and interesting parts to life that are are inexplic- inexplicably uh, linked to how you feel and how you work as well. So, sure, everything's connected. Yeah, that, that is one of the topics we will talk today, so we can go deeper into it. Uh, meantime, Great. I will maybe ask you, so how, how come did you start working on talent recruitment and yeah, it was something like your life mission or that someday you you figured it out? No, 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 it wasn't. It wasn't. Like a number of people, I I fell into recruitment, actually. Um, I was working in banking. I, um, I'll maybe tell you my kind of uh, my entry into the Czech Republic uh, later in the podcast. But um, I was working in a bank, in Citibank, and then in financial services, uh, generally in investments. And I started looking for an additional, uh, a new role. And I came to Synergy Recruitment and I met Tony Karras. And Tony said, would you like to come work for us in finance recruitment? And I said, yeah, I don't really know anything about recruitment. And he said, basically, that's okay. We'll teach it to you. You know, none of us knew recruitment when we came in. We all learned it here. Um, And as he explained it, you know, it's kind of like doing a deal, putting two sides together. Do you know what a bank does? Do you know what the candidate does? put them together. And I said, Hey, if we're talking people communications, you know, discussing with professionals and doing a deal, I can definitely do that. And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with that, that, uh, that whole concept. Um, and yes, I kind of, I jumped out at one point or a couple times, but I've been back in for 10 years and, uh, and no regrets. Got it. Yeah, it sounds good. So, well, just maybe something I didn't mention. So, you are originally from the USA, right? And what am, area of the USA are you from? So, I was born in California. I grew up in Colorado. Uh, I went to school on the East Coast, and I just kept going east. 
<laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. So yeah, talking on that subject. So yeah, how how come did you arrive to the Czech Republic? Is the typical story to come to the Czech Republic? Yeah. <laughs> well, what I can tell you is I did not come here for the beer. Uh, the beautiful ladies or because I was backpacking and teaching, teaching, teaching English. Um, so unfortunately I'll have to <laughs> d disappoint you that I did not come here for any of the typical reasons. I came here because firstly, my great grandmother was Czech. Uh, and like many Americans, you know, I heard about my European heritage. Uh, in my case, it was, it, it was very close. You know, my, my dad used to always talk about uh, Czechoslovakia because that's what it was mm -hmm. when I was growing up. Um, so in 1996, I took a break from university where my grades kind of sucked at that point to be very open. Um, and I decided to take a break and I came to Europe. I lived in Münster in North Germany and I eventually came to Prague on my way down to Austria to see if I could become a ski instructor. But on the way there, my father had given me the address of Uh, our relatives still lived in Prague. And I camped out at Jezjevo's uh, Podjebrad for like two days trying to find somebody who would take me in. I eventually met and kind of connected in German and English with my, uh, with my Czech relatives. And I loved the feeling of Prague. Prague for me in, that was in 96. Yeah. And then I came back in 98. I did a, a short uh, Czech language course at Charles University for two weeks. I forgot it all in 99. Um, and then I came here permanently in 2000 for the simple reason that I, I did interviews in London, Amsterdam and Prague. I was convinced that Europe is definitely where I want to be. I, I, I enjoy the, the rich, diverse cultures, the variety of people, languages, the proximity of all these great, amazing things. And for me, Prague was raw in 99-2000. Uh, it was just, you could feel that something was going to be created and built and developed upon. And I wanted to be part of it. So I got an internship at Citibank. And the rest is history, as they say. It sounds great, the story. So, and that you came because of your heritage as well. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What would you say are the difference between in that moment maybe about the U.S. culture and the Czech culture that maybe attract you to uh, to the Czech Republic? Um, yeah. uh, you know, Czechs at that time, my dad used to say that the Czechs were proud of not being proud, um, <laughs> and I, I don't I don't know if that's if that was true. Um, I don't think it's necessarily true now, although I still come across many, many Czechs who say, why the hell are you here? Why are you not in America? Um, and I say, because I want to live in a truly free country where I feel free on a daily basis, not just when it comes to opening a business or, or doing other things, but in my daily life. Um, I think the Czechs back in the 90s and 2000s in Prague, uh, it, it wasn't yet ruined by some of the Western ideals. You know, it was still pretty simple. You know, you could, you could go out to bars, clubs, restaurants and have a good easygoing time. Uh, you know, I don't want to sound too old here, but life was simple. It, it, it really was simple. At the same time, I was fascinated with things like the, the leapfrogging 
technology that was happening. You know, I had a mobile phone sending SMS text messages in 2001. In the US, there was no text messages for years later. Everyone was shocked at the, what I was doing when I would go back to the States. So, you know, Little Czech Republic had technology that far outweighed the, or, or, or um, uh, was far higher quality in some ways than, than the US market. Um, uh, I think the, the realness of the Czech nature is wonderful. It can, of course, go the opposite direction. You know, all the classic, you know, how are you today? And you hear you get a real answer um, versus the US where it's the opposite. Having said that, I don't mind in certain places having uh, a, a fake professional, how are you today, and a smile, because I think that makes the customer feel good. For me, it was, it was the general lifestyle. That's why I chose it. It was the overall lifestyle that I thought was where I want to be. Great. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, over here there was SMS and there was no SMS in the USA. Maybe that was kind of the reason why um, in the Czech Republic there is a lot of technical people, right? And yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it was Europe in general. We all had, S there was the SMS uh, messaging, which didn't exist for years um, in, in the States. We also reached almost 100% mobile phone pre penetration years ahead of the US. You know, they were still focused on, on landlines or fixed lines. Whereas here, I mean, even back then in the early 2000s, there were so many people who didn't have a, a landline. And in the US, everybody has one. Mm -hmm. Good. And in this journey that you moved to from the US to the Czech Republic, so when it started that curiosity maybe or path to go towards business and, and being part of the managers of a business and, and handling this? Uh, I mean, to be honest, I didn't necessarily seek it out. I didn't seek out to be a manager or to grow a business. It, it found me. Um, and I think in for most of the things that people actively seek out, they rarely find, right? You know, usually if you try to make money, it's very difficult. But if you try to just work your butt off and do great things, money usually comes to you. Uh, I didn't try and become a top leader or, or inspirational manager. Um, I was headhunted while I was in Synergy to start Spengler Fox Executive Search. And that was my first um, kind of semi-entrepreneurial uh, foray when I started Spengler Fox for, for Czech and Slovakia. Um, with zero employees, no office, no chairs, no nothing. And, and we made a great success out of it, uh, myself and a number of other people involved. Um, but they, they, you know, they reached out to me and said, we've heard about you. And yeah, I was pleased. I was honored to, to get the call. Um, I, I don't think it's always, uh, I remember back in those days, I did a, I did a, a speech in a little mini workshop for one of the, English-speaking universities, I think it was Anglo-American. And I asked uh, 40 or so students in the room, what do you want to be, you know, when you grow up, so to speak? And the answer from a lot of the, 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 the guys especially was, I want to be a manager. And I said, but that's not a job. <laughs> that's a title, that's not a job. You know, you can't be a manager. A manager of what, you know, a sales manager, a construction manager, a finance manager that I mean, you can't be a manager and they said it doesn't matter i just want to be a manager 
<laughs> I said, okay, because actually in previously in Czech Republic to be a manager was somehow a level of prestige. And that's what they wanted to have some set of prestige to say that they were a manager. Um, I, I never looked for the title. I looked for the impact always. And I still do today. Got it. Got it. And in this process of you yeah, developing yourself and moving in, in let's say the ladder of, of your career, right? Um, maybe what are the, what are in your current roles, what are non-negotiables for you uh, in values or how mm. do you run and communicate with your team or yeah, do you have mm -hmm. any kind of values or kind of frameworks? How do you move yourself as a manager? Yeah, so one of the first things, uh, and I think we'll probably talk about it today a number of times, um, I think it was around 2007 or so that my uh, my brother, Chad brought me this idea of, uh, of your purpose in life. And, uh, and that's kind of Simon Sinek, why understanding having a, having a why understanding what your why is, you know, it, it relates at least initially that idea, it relates to a company, but it can also relate to you as a person. And I started being very, very aware that the companies I wanted to be involved with, I needed to make sure that they also understood what is their purpose and what is their why. And if that why doesn't align with me and mine, then I have no interest in being involved or advising or sitting on the board or working for uh, those companies. Um, and that's been relevant for me since about 2011 or 12 on. Um, that each company I've, I've gotten involved with, I've said, what's our why? If we don't have one, let's define it now. And of course, I, I made sure I directed that to a why that fit with, with who I am and what I believe. Um, and most of those are around being very, very human. You know, I'm a businessman, absolutely. I want to have impact. I want to be successful. I want my businesses or things I'm involved with to, to be successful and make money. But... I need to make sure that we do the right thing on a daily basis, that we take care of the, of the people that's, that need to be taken care of and not at the cost of, uh, and not starting with, uh, you know, for example, our clients, but starting with our employees. Uh, those kind of things I will never negotiate on. There's kind of very clear, fair, not fair, good business practice, fair business practice and what. I feel is extremely black and white. It's not, you know, I've refunded money to customers when it's not necessary at all, because I thought <laughs> we both know what's the right thing to do. It's clear. Now, is it a great business idea? Maybe not, but it's the right thing to do. Uh, and I always hope that I have people around me that feel the same way so that we don't have to have an argument about things like that. Got it. And in this process as well, so do you have any belief that maybe are kind of contrarian for the industry in, in talent recruitment mm. and acquisition and retention? So how, <laughs> um, you know, when we, when we started, for example, we started using, um, tools and approaches that nobody had ever really done before. You know, we used, Uber 
to find candidates by jumping in Uber taxis. And uh, especially in the kind of 2014, 15, 16, there were still a lot of Uber drivers who were part-time software developers. Um, and we ended up placing a person by you, by jumping in Uber taxis, spending, you know, 150 crowns for each one until we found somebody who was actually a Java developer and placed that person. Um, we did the same thing by uh, using Tinder. One of our talent sources used Tinder and was very clear and, and ethical, explaining if you want to go on a date to talk about your career in, in tech, let's have a, let's have a, you know, a Java date over coffee. And she ended up placing somebody as well uh, using those tools. Most companies would not approve getting into Ubers and using Tinder to do recruitment. But we took somewhat of an unorthodox approach in the early days. We continued those. We continued them till, till today. We don't use those very much anymore, to be open um, and honest about it. But we're always looking at the latest and greatest uh, ideas and sometimes things that most people wouldn't necessarily uh, associate with recruitment but we we always have from the early days mm. yeah and is this something that the companies you were looking talent for were aware or they or, yeah how was yeah, that good good <laughs> good 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 question you know to some clients i explain you know you we we can do what you can't yeah, you know, if you're a more conservative, big global, publicly traded corporate, yeah, you're probably not going to be able to do the stuff that we can. But the vast majority of companies, as long as we do it ethically and morally and with good taste, they're okay with it. And this is what we kind of promised them, that the way we approach candidates, and I've always said, you should care who your talent partner is, who your recruitment agency is, because they represent you on the market. They represent your the first touch to the candidates. They tell your story. You know, a big part of what we do in, in Good Call on the recruitment side is we tell a story to the market. So we need to do it respecting our clients, you know, values and wishes in a way. Um, but the way we approach, meaning the way we find who those people are, for most clients, they're totally cool with using let's say, ultra, ultra creative methodology, as long as it's done morally and ethically. Mm -hmm. Understood. And is this a practice that you continue doing right now? Like, for example, like, do you kind of test or experiment 20% of your time and 80% into yeah. what you already know? We, we, we have a structure in place where any new tool that comes on the market, we're trying out and we're testing. Um, it's not necessarily tested by every single source and recruiter in the, in the company, sorry, but uh, we're constantly looking at the latest things. And many times when we'll hear about something coming out and, you know, half the market's like, oh my gosh, I'm using this. It's great. And I'll talk to you know, our head of source and say, have we looked at it? And he tells me, yes, it, it brings no greater advantages to this and this and this, which we're already using. And I say, okay, I trust you. If we've tried it and we've seen that, you know, maybe for marketing purposes, you might want to say we use this tool, but the reality is it's not getting any better uh, resources. I'm confident that all the newest stuff we're, we're testing, some of it we use long term, some of it we don't. Got it, got it. Yeah, it's interesting because yeah, let's say just to mention, well, it's not that old or new now, TikTok or something maybe. Yeah. yeah, maybe you're using some of these tools for that. As well. we, we were, as far as I know, we were one of, if not the first, um, you know, full recruitment company 
to be on TikTok in Czech Republic. So we started two or three years ago, maybe longer. Um, we're not massively active there. It's something that we still, I want to be better on it. Um, but we started seeing that actually TikTok is not just for teenagers. It really isn't. I mean, if you look at the stats, depending on the country, Czech Republic, something like 30% of all users are over 40. It's not, it's not just for young, young, young people. It's even for, for more established professionals. So it's something that we will continue to, to play with. Yeah, it's the nature or the time of a platform, right? Typically, the early adopters are young people yeah. and then go step by step. Now, yeah. Facebook is my grandmother and stuff like that, right? So now... And, and me, and me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, come on, you're not too old. So. <laughs> You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. <laughs> okay, maybe you have some longevity techniques and stuff like that as well. <laughs> genetics from my mother i was born in 1977 <laughs> i'm 46 so i'm 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 a facebook guy instagram <laughs> too guy. tiktok tiktok no i'm not massively into tiktok but on the business side yeah mm -hmm. good and yeah since we're talking about personal life so how how do you balance this at this point you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation you have two kids and um and of course your wife so yeah <laughs> how does it look your every day into this division or kind of interwind of <laughs> of working and personal life right yeah you know it's uh in in, in the old days we used to talk about uh, work life and personal life and work-life balance and i don't really believe in that to be honest. Um, I think it's more a work-life integration and knowing when to draw certain lines. Um, you know, if, when, when I had a Blackberry in the, in the early days, you know, we'd be on, on holiday somewhere. Uh, my wife would have my Blackberry in her purse. And when we would make stops or something, I would say, can you give it to me? And for five minutes, I would jump on it, answer emails, give it back to her. And that was it for, you know, another half a day or longer. I didn't need to worry about any, any work. Um, you know, is that work-life balance? Once again, I would call it integration. I know then it's, it's done. It's out. I focus on my family. Um, my, I don't know if we're, we're going to talk about it or not, but I, you know, my big ski accident last year, it forced me to look at a number of things, including my, uh, my personal life and if I had that in the right balance or, or integration. And I determined that I was pretty balanced. I, I would spend chunks of time where I would say, I'm not touching work. Unless there's an emergency, I'm not touching work, not a chance. I tried to go to all my kids' sports events. I became a taxi driver for them, which I don't mind. My parents did it for me. I have no issue with that, um, including outside of Prague or, or wherever. I've got no problem with that. Um, I think in many ways, the, your family can make or break you in your business life. Um, and I fully, fully subscribe to the idea that behind every successful person is a strong partner. Yeah, whether that's male or female, either way. In my case, it's 100% true. Yeah, my wife is my rock. You know, she's... Uh, she's the one I rely on in, in so many cases to be able to do what I do. Um, 
And then from time to time to tell me when I'm screwing up, like, hey, it's been two or three nights. You've been out this week at a different event. And I say, I know, but I've looked at my schedule next week and canceled two things so that I've got nothing in the evening next week. Um, in that sense, I try to make sure that I see my kids. I have dinner with them when I when I can. It's not every night, to be very honest. Um, but I I try to to not go overboard. My role in business, networking, clients, etc. I have stuff in the evenings. Yeah, probably every week at least once. Um, but there's also times when I have none, and other times when I have three. And that's uh, for me somehow acceptable. Yeah, you you have mentioned um, yeah that you are trying to integrate personal life and work so that's that's good and great right um mm -hmm. also you mentioned the the last year ski accident so can we talk a bit about that and uh, mm -hmm. of course this is a bad situation but uh i can see you now you are back and and i hope that the consequences of that are not bad and you can move forward right so can you mention Yeah, what sure. have changed in your life after that sure. regarding reflections or learnings or yeah. even in your lifestyle? Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, so March 2022, those who don't know, I had a, a very bad, um, catastrophic almost uh, ski accident in Austria. I broke 15 bones, um, uh, tore open my internal stomach, a hole in my lungs. I was in a coma for three weeks. Um, a lot of bad stuff happened, but amazingly, I kind of, I never went down into a dark hole. Um, I'm doing a TED talk on the 21st of October, in fact, where I'm going to mm -hmm. talk about it in even more detail. I learned a lot from it. I learned how to fall in, in many ways and, and many analogies. Uh, I accepted my situation and I smiled through it. I found gratitude in the smallest things. You know, when I, I had to learn how to sit again and stand and eat and walk, I had to learn it all again. I was in a wheelchair for a long time. And some really crappy situations, but I kind of smiled through, through, through most of it um, and made fun of, of so many situations. Um, It showed me that you have a choice on how you react to the world. And you can choose to be pissed off and frustrated and angry, or you can choose to accept and try and find the best from your crappy situation. I chose the latter, and it helped me massively in the third stage of evolving out of that to kind of come back into the world and function. And yeah, I mean, I, I've come back with a different appreciation for little things like standing up each morning. I still get a tiny quarter of a second high when I stand up and realize how cool it is that I can, that I can stand because it was really hard in the beginning. I, I see what one-year-olds go through. I understand why they kind of wobble all around. I went through the same thing. Um, I'm very, very grateful for uh, for the people around me. It really showed me that if you take care of others, they will take care of you. And my situation was a was a glowing example of that. The people were 
were awesome friends, family, colleagues, um, kind of what they, the steps they took to, to help out with my family, me in different hospitals was heartwarming. And I will never, ever, ever forget it. And when we go through shitty times at work or even at home, I still have a small little kind of reflection mirror on what I'm going through versus what I, what I went through, where I realized this is nothing. You know, this is, <laughs> this is nothing. We can get through this. It's not nice, but compared to what I went through, it's nothing. That's been my biggest, my biggest takeaway. Yeah, it's kind of the perspective that gives you to not take serious even the smallest problems in life, right? Correct. Or, or not to take it as seriously as you, you might normally. I mean, still, when something, you know, if a client cancels or you lose some, uh, some money, you know, it's serious at that time, but it's relative, right? It's relative to everything else. Yeah, so... Is there any, let's say, quotes or yeah, phrases that kind of guide your, your life? I know that you mentioned Start With Why from Simon Sinek is maybe one Definitely. of your guidance, right? Do it is for sure. Other? You know, there's something that I started living by when uh, I was a ski instructor, when I was living in Europe in 1996, because I was trying to live my fullest life. Um, but sometimes my, my fear of, of, of various things, you know, in public and, and, um, uh, I don't know, experiencing lots of things would, uh, would hinder me. So I started with this, um, quote or phrase and there's various versions of it, but mine was, I would rather regret the things I did do than regret the things I didn't do. And I would ask myself, when I was faced with some kind of decision in front of me, what am I going to do? And I would ask myself, tomorrow morning, will I regret not doing this? And how much? Versus, if I go for it and it screws up, how much will I regret doing it? And in most cases, the regret from not doing it would be 10 times higher than the regret of doing it. So I just started doing things taking chances, risking, you know, within reason, of course. Um, and it really served me well. It really, really did. I got to do some great things, met some amazing people. I mean, the reason I'm married to the unbelievable woman that I am is because I took that approach. And the Long Island iced tea probably helped, but still, that, <laughs> uh, that quote also led me to go finally say hello to her at the Christmas party in Citibank. Yeah, understood. Yeah, it's always good to remind ourselves that you need to take some, let's say, uh, risk and, of course, kind of measure risk, right? But yeah. kind of challenge yourself out of the comfort zone. Correct. So, Correct. Uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, maybe we will switch gears a bit towards your current role as an mm -hmm. European director in Good Cold. Um, yeah, we can maybe start with, uh, yeah, what is Good Cold? What maybe, why is name Good Cold? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so yeah. you can tell us a bit of the story behind this company. Sure. 
Sure, sure, sure. So the idea came initially from, from Milan Novak, um, who's been a close friend of mine for a number of years. We worked together when he was building Grafton. I was building Spengler Fox, part of the same group. Milan had an idea to create a different type of recruitment company, um, uh, just focused on, on a different way of approaching candidates. And he heard about Josef Kudlets and what he was doing with, uh, with uh, LinkedIn. And they got together to start the initial idea for the recruitment academy, where we would train and create talent sourcers using modern technology and new ways. And Good Call, where we would use those methodologies to do recruitment for, for clients. Uh, and I came on later that year, uh, at the end of 2014. Um, and I signed and we got kind of in bed together officially, let's say from, from January 2015. Um, the idea from the beginning was recruitment is sleeping. Somebody should wake it up. You know, let's, let's create this concept of talent sourcing, which didn't really exist before. You know, you had researchers in, in, in recruitment companies and executive search firms, but talent sourcing as such didn't really exist. Um, I'd like to believe in a way we, we led a lot of that pioneering uh, work and path to, to cultivate the HR and talent recruitment market to show many people, companies, competitors, clients, that there's a better way of doing recruitment than just advertising on job boards. Because that's the way that 90% of recruitment was done back then. It was very, very, very passive. You put a job ad online somewhere and you waited. And we said, we're not going to do that. At that time, by the way, there was only about maybe 20% of candidates who were, uh, who were, um, who were active. There was a huge percentage that were passive. Um, actually, it was probably more, more back then. Um, but people were not focused on the passive candidates. They were focused mostly on active candidates. And that was the crux of what we built, a focus on active sourcing of passive candidates. And the way we did it was very unique. Um, and we set out, you know, I, I, um, from the very beginning to create two brands, Recruitment Academy and Good Call. Eventually they became two entities. One is a training company, training, uh, individuals to get certified in recruitments, uh, Recruitment Academy certified sourcer and certified recruiter, as well as training companies and boards how to do better hiring and Good Call, where we do the recruitment itself and we do outsourcing of recruiters in IT and finance and sales kind of renting out uh, an embedded recruiter. It's a, a huge part of our business. But we also, in 2015, started uh, a software business called Datacruit. And the software business is what, kind of what we call our, our technology platform. Uh, Datacruit was started as a way to uh, create recruitment software for us and other companies that might want it. We weren't, didn't have uh, major aspirations that it would become what it is today, which is, one of the leading ATS applicant tracking systems providers in the region. We've got almost 200 clients um, in 10 or 11 countries. And each of the, those businesses is a separate entity. There's some overlap and there's some help with, with some of them, but actually they can function very, very well and they do function very well independently. Uh, as startup entrepreneurs of course we've had lots of other fun things we we launched the very first mobile app um, in the region for job seekers 
before any of the big boys did, we had our mobile app uh, active. Um, we tried our hand at, at a matching platform called Binary, Binary Jobs, which is a ma matching platform for, for IT people, uh, IT uh, developers. Mm -hmm. um, and we started uh, an amazing project with Microsoft called IT Yere, uh, or IT Ide, which is kind of IT moves. And it's a place where we upgrade the digital and tech skills of ideally every citizen in Czech Republic and Slovakia. Uh, to kind of show, give them the, the opportunity that when their when their job becomes digitalized or automated, that they'll have skills in in the top, you know, tech uh, uh, tech and digital suites like Microsoft three six five and and others mm -hmm. to be able to get a job and, and and add value. So all of these projects have been kind of going not not always simultaneously. Some have gone back to back. The mobile app is is not so active anymore. Binary jobs we. We wound down. Uh, we still have our nonprofit called Genixa, which is still going forward quite strongly. Um, and IT Yet is doing doing very very well. And three entities of Recruitment Academy, Data Crew, and, and Good Call, they're doing strong, growing each year, uh, having a big impact. RPO, we're we're moving more and more into Western Europe. Well, yeah, it sounds interesting. All the diversity of areas that you have moved, right? So is something i see a lot in companies is that they stay let's say in the comfort zone right they typically yeah. just continue operating in this in whatever they already know to do mm -hmm. uh, then mm -hmm. business models so i was wondering yeah how come do you have this more <laughs> innovative approach of course it's depending on you guys as managers and leaders right but um yeah but yeah how, how did you establish that framework of that mindset to to create these innovations and maybe yeah what would be your recommendation to if there is other managers listening to this podcast about yeah why they should do some approach similar to you to innovate and push their boundaries i think you should always you know do a a, a an analysis and a, and a business case check on interesting opportunities, which is what we did in each of these cases. Yeah, we didn't just say, hey, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do it. We looked at it. We analyzed it. We went through the, the process to decide um, if we really think we can make it work and, and make money on it. Um, if you just stay in your lane, uh, you may end up never even growing that lane. Right, if you're not pushing the, the borders and the boundaries of what your business is and, and its impact. And many times you can have great pivots from some of the small things that you're trying on the side. If, especially if you, if you know how to do it, if you ring fence it so that you try something, but you put some limits on it, you say when you're going to make a decision whether to put in more money or time or effort. Um, and you, and you do kind of, you know, an, an MVP where let's see. If we can build something that will catch on, let's see if we can uh, try a small side business. And if it grows, you know, let's analyze. Do we want to start putting more more effort into that? Um, for a lot of people, they say, "Look, I want to keep my focus. I don't want to get distracted," which I completely understand and agree with. And there's been times where we felt we're doing too many things. So this is why some of them we've scaled back and said, we need to focus on 
what is having the biggest impact, uh, what's the most sustainable, um, where we put the most time and, and get the most bang for, for our buck, because, you know, doing something 60% of your time, but where you, you know, you know, the business won't survive two years. What's the point? Yeah, it's, it's going to die. So you need to change it, adjust it, pivot it, something like that. Um, but if you never try anything, I think you're almost sacrificing your, your current business. I think you can learn so much from trying some, especially if there's somehow there's some branch that is related to to whatever your core business is. I think it makes a lot of sense to to see what's out there and how you could enhance your current operation. Yeah, of course, it needs to be complementary. It's not that you start a completely yeah. different business. Of course, I understand that. Um, and how do you fund this uh, initiative is it comes from the money coming from your main operations or you look for yeah. partners or yeah how does it work we we've talked to partners about certain things but that we've we've never truly done in the case of microsoft yes it they're they're a partner with us in in in, in that and they funded a lot of it um but with most of the others we fund it from our own finances the whole group is self-funded we've never taken outside investment uh, we've been approached a few times but we've we haven't agreed we, we've declined in the end um most of them you know we do at such a scale where we don't need to look for an outside investor or partner but in the case of it yet yeah microsoft is our big partner then got it it sounds good so is this a path that well do you recommend to people to kind of always focus on bootstrapping as a business or do you think it's too slow the growth compared if you go towards yeah, VC funds that, and stuff like that? Honestly, that depends on what your business is. Mm -hmm. That really depends. There's some businesses where I don't think you can really do it on your own, bootstrapping for very long, because you won't get the growth that you need to make it work. And others where I would say If you take outside money, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, it really depends on what business you're in um, and what type of growth is expected for, you know, for sustainability. Yeah, I, yeah, I am mentioning that from the point of view that typically we see entrepreneurs more like this misfit person who wants to do whatever they want yeah. <laughs> or try yeah, to yeah. challenge the yeah. status quo, yeah. right? So I feel like when you bring in investors, you need to be aware that you at the end will be reporting to them in somehow. Exactly. And that. So it's kind of that balance or you need to find investors mm -hmm. who are like, whatever, just do whatever you want. I trust you and that's it, right? So it's that balance. Most people think that the moment they raise money, then it's, you know, much easier, but it's the opposite. The, mo the moment you raise money, that's when all the expectations start. So uh, I've talked to entrepreneurs because I've raised money before. Um, and yeah. I've talked to entrepreneurs that really think, okay, raising money is hard, but once we get it in the bank, oh my God, it's going to be great. I say, um, no, that's not, that's not how it works. Once you get the money in the bank, the big expectations start. And yes, you'll get it from time to time. You'll find a, sort of a silent investor who says, here's the money, just go build. But most of the people who are raising and kind of desperate for money, they don't find those type of investors. They find the investors that say, you know, here's a hundred thousand euros. I want to watch it closely. Yeah. There's, there's <laughs> not so many out there, unless you're a serial entrepreneur who's been successful in other things, but then you're, 
those type of people usually are not um, desperate for money. They have investors throwing money at them. Yeah, the best option is, as you mentioned, right, that you don't, you are not desperate to raise money and you just kind of evaluate partnership with an investor only if you really need it or you consider it will be exactly yeah valuable if you, if you can feedback of this yeah person. if you can if you can build a business and you see that all you need is to plug in money here and then the sales line drop jumps up like that and it's you know it's a direct connection that's the greatest type of business you can have right? that, that you just need to go to an investor and say i built it i tested it you know, uh, all I need is your money and look what happens. You know, I'm, it's, it's 95%. That's what happens. Just give me the money and the numbers go up. If you can build that, then yeah, then you go out and you raise your money, then it shouldn't be difficult. It's more a question of choosing which investor you want, which is a great problem to have. Hmm. Yeah. Talking about great problems to have, um, and talking more about your your role as a European director, I see you that you are really active, as you mentioned before, in going to events, networking, and stuff like that, right? So, yeah, uh, yeah. What is your approach into this role of expansion and creating new opportunities for good calls? So, is this about being that active in networking and always meeting people or yeah what are your recommendations into this yeah. big picture I of mean, expansion yeah. so my role is all aspects of commercial right sales marketing new business new clients expansion new projects etc kind of the chief growth officer mm -hmm. um, and as one of the owners of the group I take it on very happily bring business to whatever parts of, uh, of the group I can and wherever they they may lead me or us um but to your question uh, i i don't think a single approach usually works so we've done campaigns for lead gen to try and find companies for certain parts of our business that, that i then follow up i go to a lot of events uh, both here in the region but sometimes abroad as well that are not always focused on our industry Sometimes it can be in uh, directly in the client industry, IT, tech, mm -hmm. finance, you know, FMCG, energy, industrial. There you start to actually understand the business people. And this has been a, a hallmark of mine that I've tried to build on for years. And when I do mentoring for, for people, especially on the business development or sales or commercial side, I remind them that I don't care what industry you're in or what type of sales role you're in you need to understand the business of your customers. And I'd like to believe that even when I don't know the business of my customer, I'm curious enough and I have enough general knowledge to ask the right questions to get into their business and understand it. Um, and this, this is even, you know, at an event, at a conference, if I'm talking to a senior level person in a, in a random industry where I can just kind of probe and, and question how their business functions, what are the biggest challenges, how they can grow, what are the biggest threats they have, how do they work with customers, uh, what does it mean to screw up for them, all, you know, these are just a few off the top of my head. But if you sit with somebody and ask, you know, those type of questions yeah, for 30 it's minutes. interesting because, um, well, at least an example from my side, uh, I participate in several events, like uh, I am working uh, as, let's say working on design and engineering services, right? So 
Mm-hmm. Um, then I mainly till now, a lot of my participation has been always in a startup events, but then kind of the mindset there is not aligned maybe with what I am looking for because yeah. the startup people is looking to match with investors. Basically that's their goal mm-hmm. of those type mm-hmm. of events instead mm-hmm. of go- maybe going to industry related events. Yes. Maybe yes. better, as you mentioned, because it's more Correct. about building the relationship with the people there and understanding their business, right? And then you yeah. can offer your services or your product yeah. and so on. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But by the way, I still do cold calls. I still mm-hmm. call up companies and I still try and get through and, and talk to the right person in business or in HR or send messages on LinkedIn and email. I still do that almost every day. Cold calls, not every day, but probably every week. Got it, got it. And do you think that, so it is working for you cold callings or is something that you first kind of message and people already have a reference about who you are and then they you call or is just out of the blue you call someone I've, without? I've, I've, made, I've made completely cold calls. Sure, in the last month, I've done probably five or six of those. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as normal anymore, but that's usually why it can have a big impact. People are not used to it. And if you do it in the right way and not in such a, you know, bad sales way, it can be very, very effective. But sure, it's it's obviously it can be a little bit more light and smooth and warm to send a message before and then call and say, hey, you know, I sent an email last week. I just wanted to follow up. Um, But sometimes when you just pick up the phone and call and say, you know, I was researching your company. It's really impressive what you're doing. I wondered if you had two or three minutes to talk now because what I what I do in, in our company, I think could be complimentary. Most of them are willing to have a short conversation if you can get them on the phone. Yeah, with the, the amount of people in uh, hybrid mode or home office, it's, it's tougher to get people on the phone and therefore, you know, digital communication becomes much more effective. Yeah, I, I feel like right now we are, in tech we're trying too much the digital world but i think i'm still missing that in-person communication i still feel that there is yeah something unique about the in-person communication that maybe will help you to close deals faster or or build relationships not only about talking closing a deal but yeah building that trust right yeah, there was a great article from a couple of years ago. Uh, I think it was uh, Forbes Global that building trust, deep trust, can only be done in, in person. Yeah, looking up somebody in their eyeballs, looking at a green dot or a red dot on your monitor doesn't build trust in the same way. You can build kind of surface level trust. You know, yeah, I trust you to do the job, but I, but wh- whether I trust you and I'm going to give you, you know, a million crowns to do this or whatever, a hundred thousand euros, that's much easier to build that type of trust face to face. Yeah, I will move a bit out of the of good call um, as, mm-hmm. as the company, what you are doing, right? But uh, well, maybe be, even before going there, I, I know that you mentioned about cold calling, doing it in the right way. So maybe we can go a little bit up there, like what does it mean for you the right way? So, yeah, can you mention uh, uh, maybe some sure. structure that you try to follow into it? Sure, sure. Um, what I always train, because I do little trainings here and there for people, mm-hmm. uh, the purpose of a cold call is to get off as quickly as you can. 
uh, which usually people like to hear that. Um, but I, I truly believe the purpose of a, of a cold call should be to kind of lightly close the person, meaning let's organize a time to talk more formally or let's organize a meeting. Your whole purpose is to get on and get off quickly with some sort of success in your hand. And that success can be as light as, um, or as, as simple as, look, we've got our, now we're, we're, we're connected. I'll call you next week and we'll go over more details. Great. I agree. Thanks a lot. Goodbye. To me, that's a success. Um, and when you explain this to people who are terrified of cold calls, they start realizing, aha. So it's not that I'm, you know, I'm closing the deal on the phone right now. And I say, no, 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 no. The whole purpose is, hey, this is who I am. I think this is who you are. I think I could probably help you or we can help each other. Let's talk a little bit more. Is that okay with you? And that's kind of where it all starts. And if you do that in a way that is professional and respectful, you know, when they're saying, thank you, I'm not interested. If you keep pushing, that's not professional. You know, here, I don't do hard sales. I explain what I think we can do and how we could do it, why I think it would be massively beneficial. And if they say, we're not interested, I say, that, that's totally fine. You know, maybe sometime in the future, are you okay if I call you in six months? And then I decide if I really want to call the person back in six months or, or not. But it, it's, it's about quick wins. And it's about quickly getting on and quickly getting off the call with that quick win. Yeah. Is this something that you inform the person from the beginning to say, well, I just want to, I will be just taking one minute of your time and just, yeah. Or yeah how do you yes. That? It, it, it really depends. Sometimes I will jump on and say, look, I just wanted to just two minutes. Um, you know, this is what we're now building in Western Europe. We have a, you know, embedded recruiter service that we've worked with a number of clients in Germany, just like you guys. Um, I want to tell you a little bit more because I think it could be very effective. Do you have five minutes now or can we organize something for the next couple of weeks? And that's usually how it starts. And at that point, they'll probably say, I've got a few minutes now. Let's let's talk and get it done with or fine. We can organize. Or, of course, the third is that it's not going to be relevant for us. And usually I'll try one more time if they say it's not relevant. And if they still say, yeah, thanks. But like I said, no, that's it. Off, done, next one. Got it. Yeah, so thanks for sharing that. It's going to be useful as tactical for someone. Sure, <laughs> sure, no problem. Um, yeah, now making a segue towards talent recruitment and retention. So what are, yeah, what are the main challenges that you see in talent recruitment in 2023, if you have any challenge or everything is running smoothly into this? <laughs> There's always challenge because we're dealing with people and we're dealing with companies and both of them are irrational. Um, the reality of the market now is that the global economy is growing, but there's industries that are not. Um, there are certain parts of, of sub-industries where they're terrified of what's coming, parts of IT and tech and energy and, and etc. Uh, we have relatively low unemployment in lots of different countries, and yet many companies are still hiring. So it's a really weird situation because then you've got a ton of companies that are having almost hiring freezes. So one of the biggest challenges right now is it's just trying to figure out what the hell's going on. 
what, what, what are companies doing? What are their real plans for the future? Because companies are flipping back and forth. You know, yes, we're hiring 40 roles. No, now we need to stabilize and we've reduced that to zero. Um, we're still dealing with candidates who are relatively active compared to a couple of years ago when they were much, much more passive. It's not a huge number, but it's more than it was in, in past years. Um, I don't, there's, there's good quality candidates out there, but I think you still have to search and seek them out and make sure that they're the, the top, top talent. That's also part of what, what we do. Um, yeah, that's some of the, the initial things that I see. So not only about the, maybe you were mentioning about the challenges, right, that you are facing, but we already know now that there is these new opportunities coming with AI and uh, ChatGPT or any other AI tool that is quite uh, famous at the moment, right? So how does has changed maybe talent recruitment based on your experience, at least till now? Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, what what is in the foreseeable future? How how do you see AI helping you or, yeah. or making some change in your business? I think the the impact so far that AI has had on recruitment hasn't been huge, to be honest, not yet, because the implementation of it will be is slow. There are some interesting tools out there. Of course, they claim that they're going to revolutionize everything. They haven't yet, because until an AI tool or bot can scrape LinkedIn and do full evaluation and matching, Uh, it's n the 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 growth in the steps will be will be incremental. Um, uh, instead, what I see are there's some really nice um, nice to haves that are becoming a reality. You can use ChatGPT now to write your job description in four seconds, whereas sometimes in some companies that could take a week. And and what they came up with was horrible and kind of boxed boring text. Now you can write something and rewrite it again and again and get something that sounds really, really good. That's a huge help. That speeds things up. That makes it more interesting and attractive. What's coming are some pretty amazing things. Yeah. Even when it comes to just some of the general automation of the sourcing process or um, admin on, on different parts of recruitment that will allow the recruiters to be recruiters and to talk with people and discuss and negotiate and help and advise, which is where we really belong. But the role of, of many recruitment consultants is like 50% admin and emails and writing and reports and evaluations. And um, I would much rather they spend their time on truly people related tasks. And with what we're looking at now and, and, starting to to implement we could change that we could we could make even a talent sources job much more focused on how to do a great approach to to a candidate and pre-screen them and understand really how they could fit with one of our clients rather than massive amounts of searching sourcing and you know sending initial messages and that would be wonderful that would be massively time saving and that would mean that a typical sourcer instead of you know five, six, seven roles could do 20 roles, which would be great for them as well.
Got it. So there will be an acceleration in, in and removing yeah. these manual processes and focus more on the human side, which is quite important. That's right. That's right. That's right. Talking a lot about yeah, maybe the new experiences and learning. So do you follow any specific resources, books or podcasts or any other type of resources that you can recommend over here? You can focus in one or two, mm -hmm. so no need to go yeah. in a long list. You know, <laughs> um, I actually just read general uh, newsletters and things that, that, that come through on, on recruitment, but I'm more focused on uh, on business stories. So, you know, I read Fortune in the US or, or, um, uh, or Entrepreneur Magazine or Forbes, both the Czech one, but I like the global one even better. I like reading success stories about what they're doing and building. Sometimes it can really inspire me to look at things that we could do in our business. And the same goes for, for books where I like reading autobiographies or stories, true stories, or even, you know, um, historical fiction. I also uh, enjoy just for learning how to uh, how to um, approach and attack the world's and the day's challenges. I think uh, help me vastly when I understand the reality of other people's life. Um, so industry specifics. I'm not a massive reader into HR and recruitment all the time. Instead, I'm a, I'm a huge um, consumer of business stories. Those are my favorite. Good. Do you remember what was the last story or biography that you get the chance to read or something? Um, let's see. I just finished um, Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. And that was fantastic. <laughs> that was really good. That shows you how little we really know about other people and how we all function. But I think one of the most impactful books that I read, just before that I finished Matthew McConaughey, the actor. He has this amazing book called Green Lights. And if you listen to it on an audiobook, which I highly recommend, Matthew McConaughey himself does the reading. And that was one of the most enjoyable autobiographies I have ever read. It's the first one I've ever listened to. And I took away so many pearls of wisdom from that. It was just, what an, what a, an entertaining read slash listen. I would highly recommend anybody who cares about business, life, balance, the world, happiness, should read Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, and ideally as an audiobook with him reading it. Yeah, thank you very much for sharing all these resources. I'm really excited about them, and maybe I will start listening to this book as well. Cool, <laughs> um, you should. Well, how, people, how can people reach you out? So, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, look, the easiest place is on LinkedIn. There's only one, Blake Whitman, W-I-T-T-M-A-N. Um, otherwise, you can write me via LinkedIn. I kind of accept almost anybody who, who reaches out. So feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'll be happy to talk. Okay, Blake. So thank you very much for your time and all the best in your journey and really exciting conversation we have today. Thanks a lot, Ricardo. It was great. Thanks for having me. See you around. See you. Ciao.
Thank you very much for joining us. I hope you have enjoyed the episode and got important insights to apply soon in your journey. Feel free to share with your friends and colleagues. See you in the next episode.